0: Dead. Oh, alive. That's good, isn't it? You always start to worry in church when you say is the microphone turned on. Everybody's going yes, yes, like that, and it's actually nothing coming through at all. Yes, yes, but make it quick. Um, this morning is uh, is all about how to deal with criticism. Now, hands up if you absolutely love criticism. I mean, you love getting it, and you know, I mean, some of us like giving it, but. Um, uh, the, the thing about how we deal with criticism is, is absolutely crucial in terms of the way that we go about living our lives. And Jesus didn't, uh, uh, didn't use the word criticism, but he did, did talk quite frequently about judgment. And this morning we, we get to pick on a few of those verses that Phil so uh, wonderfully read to us from Matthew chapter 7, the first six verses, which is all about Jesus saying, uh, do not judge or else you will be judged too. And uh, the theme this morning, it kind of links in with that, with that sense of, well, how do we go about living in this way, in the culture that we're in? So the theme today is all about how do I deal with criticism? And um, there is a, a lovely story that we heard recently of Southwest Airlines in terms of thinking about criticism. Southwest Airlines uh, is like the easy jet of the States. Some of you may well have flown Southwest Airlines in America. They have a, a three values that they try and live their company by. And one of their values is sense of humor, which seems a bit odd for, a, you know, a kind of a, a, airways. But anyway, they, they have sense of humor as their main, one of their main values. So their pilots will occasionally, when you fly Southwest Airlines, they will start with a joke. Um, and occasionally the jokes are sort of um, spur-of-the-moment jokes. Like, for instance, hey guys, welcome to this flight. Don't worry, uh, we have plugged in all the engines. <laughs> and, um, and don't worry, we've still got two wings, uh, although I, we did last time I checked. You know, that kind of sort of little throwaway humor moments, which which obviously some people really love and other people might find a little bit difficult, especially if you're slightly afla- afraid of flying. Um, or, to be more precise, afraid of crashing into a mountain and dying, uh, probably, which is more the fear isn 't it uh, for most of us anyway, so Southwest Airlines heading off on one journey, and a uh, pilot made his customary little ha ha funny ha ha joke, um, and somebody wrote to the chief exec of Southwest Airlines and said uh, you know we 're offended that your pilots should make jokes at the start of the journey.' and uh, it's it's disgraceful and surely it's a serious business and the the thought of somebody telling a joke before we take off really offended me and long letter and um, now if if you were the chief exec what kind of letter would you write back probably you would write back with a thank you so much for your letter of complaint we're so sorry that it offended you and we'll we'll have a word with our, you know, you'd have kind of, you know, you'd have trekked it down through the organisation, got to the pilot, make sure the, have meeting with all the pilots, make sure your jokes are, you know, please don't tell jokes just before, you know, you'd have done all of that, wouldn't you, and you'd written back a letter of apology. The chief exec of Southwest Airlines simply wrote back and said, headed notepaper, we'll miss you. There's a company living by its values, actually, isn't it? You know, we believe it's a, it's a really important thing for us. If you don't like it, fly somewhere else. And um, uh, there's, there's a company who had a particular take on how to deal with criticism. <laughs> this is what we're like. If you don't like it, um, go elsewhere. So how do we go about handling criticism, whether it's face-to-face or whether it comes to us via a different uh, course? Here's a few thoughts from these, past, these few verses from Matthew chapter 7. And uh, we're thinking about these verses and four little bits of it. Firstly, there's a command that Jesus gives. Secondly, he gives a reason for that command. Then he gives an illustration, and then he qualifies it uh, with uh, verse 6, which is all about the dogs and the pigs. And we'll get to that in, in in a few moments. So, do not judge is the first bit. Jesus said... And it's worth asking the question, does Jesus mean no judgments at all? Should we never say anything about anything that involves any conflict or judgment? Imagine if I said, listen, I'm sorry, I can't possibly comment on the death of the Reverend John Suddard in Thornbury. It would be far too judgmental were I to comment on it. You know, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Of course we're called to comment. Of course we're called to speak out at moments like that and say, actually, what happened to him was a travesty. It was, it was wrong and uh, we're we're glad when justice is exercised somebody is sent to prison for uh, what happened in that right the way through the New Testament we know that that there is judgment exercised time and time again if you think about Timothy for instance Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 he said to him listen Timothy correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction or Paul himself was not afraid to make judgments on false teaching. If you read through the book of Galatians, you see that it's written with that purpose in mind, actually, to correct false teaching. Or 1 Corinthians 5, which, if you read it in the NIV, is simply entitled, Expel the Immoral Brother. Now, obviously, there's an element of judgment therein, isn't there? You know, it's not fluffy kind of Anglicanism. It's kind of direct you know, here's this person within your church stuffing up left, right, and center and carrying on with disregard to everyone else. You've got a couple of courses of action. Talk to them, get somebody else, talk to them. If they don't listen, kick them out. Um, that's obviously a paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 5. It's a few, more, a few more verses than that. So there is, within the New Testament, judgment that takes place. So what is Jesus talking about here? He says, Do not judge. Of course, he is uh, pointing the finger at largely the Pharisees and the way that they operated in terms of their life and their leadership. Judgment was a large part of pointing the finger at somebody else and saying, look, um, thank goodness I'm not like them. Jesus, in fact, told a story, didn't he, in Luke 18, the Pharisee and the tax collector, where they go, to, the, you know, go to, to worship and the Pharisee says, you know, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that person over there these horrible tax collectors and the tax collector comes before God and says look I'm just a miserable sinner got it wrong left right and center and Jesus's implication in that story was to say look the the tax collectors got it right the Pharisees got it wrong so we're in no position to judge those people who are not yet Christians it's part of our underlying things within church actually that when people find their way into church for the first time um it's it would be inappropriate wouldn't it to start to judge people as soon as people arrive like oh you know come come into church but um, we don't like the way that you're dressed or your you know your hair or your jacket or you know it it would be or your lifestyle it would be inappropriate to judge in that instance and Jesus is very focused on this do not judge don't judge And he's particularly pointing the finger at the Pharisees who had an attitude of judgment time and time again. And so for us, you know, it's it's a calling not to leap to the conclusion of judgment too quickly. There's also that sense of wise judgment, isn't there? We want to be people who make wise decisions. In fact, in verse 15, a few verses later on, Jesus will say, you know, uh, that we're to be uh, those who watch out for false prophets. So you can't watch out for false prophets if you're not willing to make a judgment about whether their prophecies are accurate or correct or not. So Jesus is not making a blanket statement. Never judge anybody about anything. And sometimes this verse gets used in our culture, doesn't it? And is thrown back at the church sometimes. Don't judge, or you too will be judged, as a kind of a paraphrase for political correctness. Don't say anything about anyone ever, because you mustn't judge or you too will be judged I think that is a, a, a misappropriation of scripture actually it's taking something out of context and it's not taking the spread of what the Bible says about judgment where actually there are times when we need to be very wise in our judgments about others as well as about ourselves so what is Jesus saying here I think he's saying this beware judgmental attitudes beware carping and criticism for the sake of it beware it when we set ourselves up as God and don't enjoy seeking out other people's failure the message puts it like this the message version of the Bible uh, written by Eugene Peterson puts it like this don't pick on people jump on their failures or criticise their faults the Pharisees seem to build a ministry like that and we're called to be different So there's the command. And then secondly, there's the reason for the command. Don't judge or you too will be judged. Jesus, again, is pretty clear. As we uh, criticize and judge other people, um, that we too will come under judgment. The courtroom language, if you like, would put it like this. When we try to occupy the bench, we end up in the dock. When we live our lives in judgment an attitude of criticism and carping at other people the finger points back at us. You've heard it said often that as you point the finger at somebody else there are three fingers that point back at you. When we sit in judgment of others we always reveal something of ourselves. And any judgment breeds judgment. I've never been in a church where leadership has been critical uh, where uh, ongoingly where the church has been full of grace judgment breeds judgment criticalness breeds criticism churches have often I think become environments of judgmentalism rather than freedom and uh, we've worked in a few uh, over the years that have been like that and uh, praise God Uh, St. Michael's is very different uh, as an animal, which is great. So, our judgment then, if we live our lives setting ourselves up as God, as judge, it attracts the judgment, not just of other people, but actually within what Jesus says, it's risky because it attracts the judgment of God. And of course that's going to be true because God is, Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So whenever we exercise being the judge. And jury over somebody's life uh, as we first meet them when we have an attitude of criticism towards others then it's a bit like saying do you know Lord I'm going to step into your shoes for a moment I'm going to be you I'm going to put myself on the throne I'm going to reckon that I am the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and of course God doesn't like that why? because he's jealous about his throne he's jealous about the fact that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. So the reason for the command then, well, it's risky in doing that. Judgment breeds judgment and actually our judgment of others attracts God's judgment of us. And also, why is this good advice? Um, Well, we recognize in passing judgment on somebody else as an attitude, it makes us aware of our own prejudices. Uh, Imagine on an application form for a job, If you truly put your weaknesses, you know, when you fill in a form, um, you know, could you outline your strengths, long list? Could you outline your weaknesses? And everybody puts the same thing, don't they? Uh, I I work far too hard. (laughs) Like, that's a weakness, you know. I am overcommitted too often in my workplace. Uh, I'm often too generous and genuine with people. You know, we kind of list our weaknesses as sort of inverse strengths, don't we? Can you imagine if we actually truly put our weaknesses? I'm prone to fits of uh, uh, outrage, outbursts of anger, and have been known to occasionally hit my boss. You know, if we actually put our weaknesses down, you know, we'd never get a job, would we, ever, um, if we truly listed our weaknesses. Sometimes when we make judgments about other people, um, it, it reflects on our own prejudices our own sense of weakness and often when we judge when we have an attitude of judgment we don't actually know all the facts when we're doing so so these are the reasons for the command Uh, and recognizing that actually we all fall short in any judgment about other people we all fall short of the glory of God and we need to recognize that in our attitudes as well as in our actions And then Jesus gives this fantastic illustration, which he would have been familiar with, being a carpenter, of course. There would have been countless times when Jesus, working as a carpenter, got sawdust in his eye. And so he says, uh, the illustration, he says, uh, you know, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? At which point, and it gets slightly lost in translation, at which point there probably would have been a little uh, chuckle of laughter from those listening, alongside a feeling of slight embarrassment when they recognise that the illustration was directed at them. Jesus told the story because he'd had experience of it. When you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to this plank in your own. It's worth saying here that Jesus isn't uh, ruling out constructive criticism. Any criticism, actually, should seek to improve other people, shouldn't it? Build them up and encourage and not tear down. And here's Jesus taking this illustration to make the point. Jesus warns of hypocritical uh, criticism. He says, actually, when you try and take the speck of sawdust out, when you've got a whacking plank in your own eye, aren't you missing something? That there is something in your own eye. And he says, to do that is hypocrisy. And I love the description of hypocrisy, which is about the gap between what we show on the outside and then what we know to be true on the inside. I actually think that the Christian life is a journey of bringing those two things together, you know. That what we present on the outside and what we feel like on the inside. Often the two find themselves a way apart and it's why actually we've been really passionate about church being a real place you know where there's honesty and vulnerability because to do anything else is to be hypocritical isn't it you know that moment when you come to church and you feel like you know dreadful and and somebody you're dreading that somebody will ask you that question how are you how are you And you're dreading asking the question because you know that if they ask you the question, you're going to have to lie and say, I'm fine. Uh, but church surely must be a place of absolute reality of who God is, but reality with who we are. Not to be critical whether the bit on the outside that we present to others is, starts to match up with actually how we feel on the inside. And hopefully the stuff on the inside that starts to get healed up and freed up So in this story, uh, we count ourselves in, don't we? That actually, when Jesus told the illustration, he's speaking to us. You know, when I seek to try and help somebody with a particular issue, and then this massive plank is in my own own eye where I recognize that actually, you know, this is an issue for me. And here's me trying to pick the speck of sawdust out of somebody else's eye, risking that I'm going to actually take their head off with the plank that's in my own eye. It's an amusing picture, isn't it, of trying to reach out to help somebody with this huge plank sticking out from your head and bashing them as you try and do it. I actually think sometimes, you know, if we we have unresolved issues in our life that then we try and help somebody else with the same issue, we can do more damage than good until we start to address those issues. Not that we're ever going to be perfect, but we need to actually take some steps to say, wow... Do you know, look at the plank in my eye. Somebody help me with this, because the chances are, if you haven't seen the plank out of your own eye, somebody else probably has. And then it's worth saying as well that I think, uh, as we deal with our own planks first, um, when Jesus told this story, the, the, there's, there's something in this about the the eye being the most sensitive of organs. How many of you are really comfortable with touching your own eye? Those of you that have got... And how many of you wear contact lenses? Yeah. It's those of us that have worn contact lenses, you know, you kind of get used to it, don't you? The bit of plastic between you and your eye, but you kind of get used to opening your eye and popping it in and then pinging your eye so that the contact lens pops out and then you try and catch it. Have you ever done that? You lost it. Oh, no, it was the very thing that you need to find the contact lens you haven't got on your eye anymore. Where is it? <laughs> The eye is the most sensitive of all organs. And I think actually criticism must be done carefully. Handling conflict must actually be done, well, firstly, it must be done. Secondly, it must be done carefully. I think particularly where churches don't address conflict, they just assume that it will go away. Um, it always comes back to get you. It's a bit like trying to sit in a, on a, uh, um, one of those space hoppers, Remember those from the 70s? Um, I had a big orange space hopper. Imagine trying to sit on a space hopper in a swimming pool. You can you can do so well for a while, but eventually it will pop up and smack you in the face, or probably somebody else that happens to be near you. When we try and push conflict away, it always comes to get you. We're called, I think, to handle conflict, and but to do it as if trying to reach into somebody else's eye, you would do it very. Carefully and delicately. So, with conflict, I think we need to meet face to face to address conflict. Um, You know, when somebody sends you a a massive long email that says, here's these range of things that I have against you, or, you know, your last sermon was rubbish and here's the reason why. Um, I hope that now I will, there was a time when I just, you know, reply back with a lengthy email in return hoping that that will address the conflict it never does does it have you ever tried that send a long email back then you get another long longer email back to you then you respond in like and you get another and it goes on forever doesn't it so handling conflict face to face we must meet face to face with people when we handle conflict delicately we must do it with humility uh, the Bible's clear that if the fir- that first stage breaks down in some ways, we might need other people's help to come in and help resolve conflict. It's something that we've done countless times within the church with and alongside some of you guys, to help resolve conflict. It's absolutely essential. Karen and I were doing it this week in a, in a meeting with uh, some people just trying to help resolve conflict and get through to a place of resolution in Ephesians 4 Paul put it like this he says look don't let the sun go down on your anger uh, how many times have you gone to bed angry after an argument uh, uh, married couples no don't put your hands up because I know you've done it because uh, you, know, I'm, I'm, you know it's like we, we do it don't we have an argument go to bed hoping that you'll wake up feeling differently and uh, you, you kind of wake up feeling much the same replaying the argument again and again so I would say this about conflict I think what Paul said about resolving conflict don't let the sun go down in your anger I think 24 hours is a really good time frame after an initial cooling off period 24 hours to figure out a way that you can resolve conflict is a really helpful thing so that it doesn't fester on and on and on and the longer it goes on you know you're sort of six months down the line to then try and resolve conflict to try and remember what it was that you were arguing about in the first place is difficult isn't it you just you know I meet countless people particularly at funerals who have not spoken with their relatives for like six years and when you ask why they can't remember what they were arguing about they just know that they don't speak anymore Uh, resolving conflict is absolutely essential and Jesus said as much take the plank out of your own eye be careful in the way that we operate alongside one another and then this lovely verse which seems to uh, jump in at the back end of Matthew chapter 7 verse 6 which is all about the qualification where does this seem to sorry for the picture where does this seem to fit in it's a strange verse jesus says here i think that there's a danger of being indiscriminate verse 6 seems to limit the range of the command do not judge He warns of the danger of being indiscriminate. He said, you know, these dogs that Jesus mentions don't give to dogs what is sacred or pearls to pigs. These aren't cuddly household pet dogs. These are the dogs at the time of Jesus that were running around on the streets that would uh, maul you for food or would hassle you um, or chase you. These are wild animals. Jesus is saying, actually, be very careful about the way that you operate In ministry and in your life, there's a danger of being indiscriminate, and particularly beware of those who have a hardened contempt for God. You see it in the New Testament, don't you? Time and time again, Paul went to a place, um, preached, ministered, and actually people were so turned off uh, to the gospel that he moved on somewhere else. You see it in Pisidian Antioch in Acts 13. You see it in Corinth where he goes to the Jews and they wouldn't listen, so he goes next door to somebody else's house who was willing to listen. We've got to be careful about those who have a hardened contempt for God. It's worth us asking the question, I think, in life and in ministry, who is the Lord getting through to here? One time recently, I was coming out from the Beaufort pub um, after uh, football... Friday night football drinks, playing football, going to the pub. Office. I was leaving there one Friday night, and as I left, there was about five or six people, um, kind of people in the late twenties, early thirties, sitting at a table, and they didn't recognise me. They didn't know who I who I was, but they they just bizarrely, as as I left, one of the girls said um, uh, something like, "God, huh? You know, what a joke," or uh, to me. And I I I was just dressed like this. I mean, reasonably suave and sophisticated. Um, Not at all vicarly looking, I would hope. And um, so I just kind of stopped and had a little conversation. It was after about 10 minutes that I realised that they were all slammed. um, That they'd drunk rather too much. And, um, And they were intent on, when they discovered what I did, they were intent on having a really good argument about stuff. Um, and I, I was up for that actually I, you know, I don't mind that at all great fun uh, but at, so at one point I got to a point where I thought Do you know what this is a waste of time A because they won't remember what I've said tomorrow but B because actually it's all about kind of debate and argument and who's right and who's wrong and so I just said um, guys it's been great to meet you enjoy the rest of your evening I, I've got to go and I left We've got to be careful, I think, about where we set, uh, uh, where we show our pearls. We've got to be wise in the way that we act towards those who are not yet Christians, both in not being too judgmental, but also in terms of the level at which we engage in sharing the gospel. Jesus seems to qualify the statement, do not judge, with this little phrase, do not throw your pearls to pigs. And we need to be taking that on board as we think about how we handle criticism. So, there we go. A few little thoughts from Matthew chapter 7 about how do we deal with criticism. It was amazing after the 9 o'clock service, uh, the number of people that came up to me rather jokingly at the end of the service and said, that sermon was rubbish. (laughs) And then, ha, 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 ha. So I went... Let me minister to you through the medium of a clenched fist. Um, no. So uh, yeah, we've got to be careful, haven't we, with our, with our criticism? You know, uh, obviously, we sometimes we we get it right, sometimes we get it wrong, and sometimes we've been on the receiving end of critical attitudes that affect us. And in a moment, we're going to pray for that. Actually, that where we've been on the receiving end of critical attitudes. It may have been in a church environment. Uh, We're going to pray in a moment that we would be receivers once again of God's grace. So, why don't we stand?